right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on uh, episode 11 of Slice of Life Sciences. Uh, today, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the episode. I'm joined by Jake Lombardo, who is the co-founder and CEO at uh, Anodyne Nanotech. Uh, they're a venture-backed preclinical stage biotech company uh, developing differentiated transdermal forms of of high value drugs. We'll dive a lot more into that. Um, but Jake just wanted to say thank you uh, for taking the time and, and really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Of course. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, dive in. So we, we with past entrepreneurs, um, have had a lot of success hearing a little bit about their background uh, prior to diving into what you're up to today, just kind of creating the path to where you are. Um, does that sound good to you? Just starting from the beginning, then getting into anodyne? Sure. Cool. Um, so I guess starting with the basics, where'd you grow up? Did you have any interests at an early age that started to spark some curiosity in certain industries and in certain anything? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I grew up on the Jersey Shore. Um, I like to add the disclaimer, not like the show. Um, but I think what that would have uh, been my first question. <laughs> I know I, I get it a lot, but uh, it's really not like that. Um, I think what it did do is give me a love for the beach and just kind of being outside in general and, uh, you know, fishing on the ocean. So that's my view of the Jersey Shore, not the fist pumping. Um, and I, I think in terms of interest, um, at least early on, it was really, you know, broadly described as math and football as kind of my two main interests there. I think as we go through the conversation, you'll see kind of that theme, at least through uh, undergrad college of kind of how that's led me along. Um, I think a, a funny story of kind of the cross section of that, though, is uh, at an early age, I think, I don't know, my, my mom will tell you a, a younger age, but I was probably around six, I knew my three six and seven multiplication tables because field goals, touchdowns and touchdowns <laughs> with extra points. So kind of the intersection of math and football there. But if you ask me, you know, four times eight, I couldn't help you. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say, those are two paths that don't normally cross at an early age, math and football. So that's a right. story. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of, you know, early, early life there. Did you, I guess, as you, still before maybe high school or even in high school before that, did you have any spe specific people in your life that started to get you thinking about what you wanted to do, what your passions were, any of that stuff? Yeah. So again, I think, um, this we'll talk about until like a lot later, I didn't have very specific, you know, I want to be a doctor and that yeah. was what I wanted to be from the beginning of my life. Um, but I do think, you know, obviously a lot of different people have had impacts on my life along the way in terms of mentorship or opening my eyes to different opportunities. I think the first one probably goes back to, I think she taught in like second or third grade uh, through fifth grade is Mrs. Lasky. Uh, we had, uh, a, a, there was a group of students, uh, I think it was like 10 of us or so. And we would meet like once a week. And it was just, it wasn't a, a normal class. It was really focused on um, like logic and problem solving. 
and we had the same group for like three or four years, I think. Um, but it was it was really an awesome class. Uh, it made me excited about just kind of approaching new problems and kind of seeking that out. So now, in hindsight, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but from from that point, it, it really just uh, I guess nudged me in the right direction of of not always accepting things at face value and kind yeah. of uh, if something's presented as this is the way it is because it's the way it is, maybe challenging that a little bit. It's great. Starting to ask why. Um, so you then went to Union College in Schenectady, New York um, for undergrad and you studied biomedical engineering, I believe. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, it started off as bioengineering, then biomedical engineering, but all the same curriculum. Um, Tell us a little bit about, and you probably were just about to do so, about your time there and just um, some of the projects you worked on particular papers and just anything that started to mold what you were thinking about getting into. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, you know, I didn't have a, a very specific interest going into college yet. Um, I really enjoyed math. So that's kind of what led me generally to engineering. Um, and then at, at Union, I, I went in engineering, but undeclared. Um, there were four options there. I gravitated towards biomedical engineering just because I, I really, um, I, I like that better than um, kind of the electrical or computer engineering aspects. Um, and I, I really enjoyed some of the biology classes that I took that first year. Uh, so I think that helped guide me in that direction. Um, and then within the biomedical engineering, there are kind of three main, um, I guess, paths you can take within that based on electives that you take. Um, I would describe it more as kind of um, more of the device side, which is a lot more electrical or computer engineering involved. Um, the biomechanics side, which is, um, you know, more like bone bending, breaking implants, things like that. Uh, and then more of the traditional biology, uh, which ended up being a, a lot more of where I, I ended up spending my time. And I think it helps a lot more now as kind of getting into the pharmaceutical side of things and kind of understanding how the body works and, and really being uh, interested in that. Um, and then in terms of meaningful projects, I guess, um, well, I, I did, as I mentioned there, kind of really enjoyed uh, some of the kind of cancer cell biology or immunology classes. I just found them really fascinating to kind of learn how the body works or doesn't work um, when it's, when there's a dysregulation. Um, but I think the most meaningful project was probably my senior capstone uh, for biomedical engineering. And it was set up as kind of a, a design project um, with little hints of entrepreneurship in, in, in there, if you will, um, and kind of started getting that going um, in the sense of they wanted it, it was based on, um, you know, understanding problems that came from feedback from a local uh, uh, hospital and then being able to design solutions around that. Um, so our actual uh, solution or uh, what we were working on wasn't as important, but it was really the, the process involved in that that I think was had an impact on me. So um, we were specifically working on hemodialysis and trying to make sure that the, um, uh, the needles essentially stayed in place throughout diffusion. Um, um, but through that process, they really 
kind of challenged us to go out and talk to people, uh, especially doctors. And I remember specifically talking to one nephrologist um, who was, uh, you know, very um, well known in the field, had, I think, 20 plus patents at the time. Um, and so he agreed to talk to us and the entire meeting was super negative, um, like basically told us to just give up and stop what we're doing now and, and go find something else. Um, and it, it was kind of based on the fact that, you know, he had all of these patents and all of these great ideas, but none of them ever came to anything. None of them were being used. Um, and so it, it kind of gave him a really negative light on, you know, creating innovative solutions especially when the last one that he had come up with, I think added like five cents to the system or something like that. Um, so that really was uh, impactful for me in terms of, okay, this is a really intelligent guy, great at what he's doing, you know, one of the leaders in his field, um, but was failing in this aspect. So clearly there was more behind it than just coming up with a good idea. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, I know we'll dive into it, kind of my motivation for going to the program at Tufts and, and what kind of led there. That, that's, that's interesting. That's a great story. Um, before we do dive into Tufts, I, I, I mean, you mentioned you played football beforehand and, and I, I saw that you were a captain on the team there as we get to Tufts and Anodyne, just out of curiosity was being a captain for a football team and playing football your whole life. Did you learn a lot of leadership skills kind of managing different personalities, teammates, obviously, that you look back on and you think maybe in hindsight you learned a lot from? Uh, I think we could probably have a whole separate podcast on this, so <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, but I, I do think, you know, whether it's football or any other team sport, it's uh, an incredible advantage in terms of developing those kinds of, of traits, um, at least for me specifically. I think um, there were a few that that really come across and still like come through today. Um, I think the first one is probably the most important was grit through that process. So uh, a quick story coming in from high school. I mean, any college athlete, typically, if you're you know recruited coming into college, you were probably either a star or one of the higher performing players on your high school team. Um, and then coming to Union, uh, there were, you know, certain practices where I wouldn't even get a repetition at practice, you know, yeah. and so that's incredibly frustrating um, as a first year. And then the second year we followed, I actually, actually before that I had uh, transfer applications filled out actually, and I, I could never get myself to hit submit um, because I, I don't know, something just didn't feel right. It felt like I was, you know, giving up. Um, and then the following year we went 0 and 10, uh, so didn't win a single game. Wow. So kind of negative, uh, you know, impact after getting myself to see it through, um, given something you're all, you know, for weeks, months on end, and then, you know, not winning a single game and then having to go home for the summer and tell all your friends about, you know, <laughs> how you didn't win a game. So, uh, that was definitely a humbling experience. Um, but then after that, sticking through, you know, ended up with a whole new coaching staff. Um, and then by my senior year, as you mentioned, uh, as the captain for that year, and we finally turned it around and had the first winning season. And I think it was like six or seven years. Um, so being able to go through that process, I think, was really important. Um, just kind of 
having the the really humbling experience but being able to come through on the other side and then I think through that learning what worked and what didn't work from the leaders that were before us and then you know captains alongside of us um, and that has has at least stuck with me in terms of leading by example um, I I like to um, you know if I, there were a lot of people that would say really great things um, but then not really follow through with them. And I realized that, you know, the people that I respected were the ones that would either say something or not, but Understood. also give it their best effort and walk through. So I, I try to uh, bring that to, to work today as well. well. That's great. And I'm sure you, you learned, took bits and pieces from guys before you and kind of figured out your leadership skills and what worked for you. So that, that, that's great. Um, you then went to Tufts, like you were just saying, the, the Gordon Institute to receive a uh, master's of science in innovation and management. Um, I guess what prompted you to go directly from Union to Tufts and what was your focus at your year at Tufts? Yeah, so in terms of the motivation, I, I kind of touched on that at Union. I, I realized that um, there was more than just being a great engineer to, to seeing impact uh in the world and that was kind of my my fundamental motivation i guess i wanted to do something meaningful um and so the msim program it was basically like a warp speed mba um but it was focused specifically on bringing innovative products or companies to market um so i felt it was a really good fit for you know my new revelation if you will that i yeah. I needed to add that component. So for that program, um, I think it's, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the, the students have a STEM background, um, but probably, you know, that same large majority of the curriculum is more focused on business aspects. It, it's not on, uh, you know, engineering courses. So uh, things like finance, negotiation, marketing, um, all of those pieces. But I think uh, one of the main things that differentiated it from some of the other programs I was looking at uh, is an emphasis on really building like an emotional intelligence aspect of it and really getting out and talking to people and understanding their problems and motivations and, and how that factors into building either a good product or a good company. Yeah, um, yeah so that, that was kind of the focus for that year. It was a, a year and a half. Yeah, that's a that's a quick quick program. I can imagine you had to move fast on a lot of different assignments. Um, at your time there, I, I assume just based on reading about Anodyne um, that you met your co-founder or co-founders there. Um, I guess this kind of parlays into the formation and genesis of, of Anodyne Nanotech. But tell us a little bit about how the company I guess started how you met your co-founders and just any professors um, along the way that helped shape what it is now today. Yeah. So um, I guess the formation kind of happened in two parallel streams. Um, on one side, there was um, the actual invention of the technology and progression there. Um, and that was in Professor Samir Sankasali's lab. Uh, with research led by now one of the co-founders, uh, Hojat. And 
that they had worked on that for a couple of years before I had been involved uh, or the company formation. Um, and so the other stream uh, was the MSIM program that we were just talking about. Um, and part of that program is building, you know, uh, hypothetical, if you will, uh, in this case, not necessarily hypothetical, um, but building hypothetical business cases to learn the curriculum. Um, so my, my team really gravitated towards this microneedle technology that we heard about at Tufts. Um, and so, you know, it was in its infancy a school project um, that we were able to kind of craft the, the business plan and, and pitching and, and go through the curriculum with that, uh, kind of build the, the basis of the business there. And then um, it ended up in uh, the Tufts every year has a 100K new ventures competition. Yeah. Um, and so we took part in that. That process was great. Not just, you know, the final pitch, but it's, it's a few iterations of pitches and then weeks leading up to it of, of meeting with uh, judges and mentors and, and refining. Um, so that process was great. Uh, we were able to win a couple awards there, um, gain some traction, um, you know, some extra visibility within the Tufts community, at least um, to, to find some um, people with industry experience that could really give some helpful advice. Um, and so that's when we decided to form the actual company. So that was uh, early 2019. Um, and so those that wanted to continue from the, the MSIM program, uh, so our other co-founder, still uh, Anadine Constantinos. Um, so myself and Constantinos from the MSIM program, and then Hojat joined from uh, leading the research and then Professor uh, Francisali is also an advisor to the company still. So that was kind of the, the early formation. Um, and then you also asked about professors in there. I think uh, the main one really, uh, especially for the entrepreneurship, uh, was Kevin Oy, um, who is the director of the MSIM program. But he also taught a few of the courses and was also just, um, you know, a, a great source for advice um, or guidance along the way. And one of his main uh, pillars, if you will, was um, that you don't really know what you're capable of until you're pushed to those limits, right? And I think in this sense, he was really great at pushing us to those limits, but also doing it in a way that, you know, when you do push to the limit and fail, that you still have the confidence to pick yourself back up and, and, and keep going. So um, Kevin was definitely instrumental in, in the formation there. That that quote has a lot of or parallels to football as well. So that's a great quote. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, there was grit on the football field and grit <laughs> in the uh, classroom or business formation and it all comes together. Exactly. Um, so so with the formation story, I guess, so just tell us what does Anodyne Nanotech do, do um, and just what your science technology is. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're focused on eliminating the need for injections in the treatment of chronic diseases. Um, there's a lot of, you know, well-documented cases out there of, of medication non-adherence. Um, and so it, it leads to poor treatment outcomes, of course. Um, but we, we really want to solve that problem by, by changing injections, um, whether it's because it's a difficult dosing regimen, it's painful, um, there's storage constraints, shipping constraints, turning that into a very simple, um, easy to use patch that you can deliver the same medicine. Um, so we're 
initially focused on daily or weekly injections and turning that into a patch. Um, the reason we're focused there, as you, you kind of mentioned talking of the technology as well, um, is that our microneedle technology allows us to deliver large amounts of, of biologic drugs, which typically is, is what is delivered with an injection, um, and especially when we're talking about the treatment of chronic diseases. And so um, by having this ability to deliver larger amounts of these drugs, um, it really gives us an, a, a unique ability um, to to deliver these types of medicines in a transdermal way. So there are other microneedle technologies um, you'll see, especially recently with COVID vaccines, there's a lot getting buzzed. And so typically the other uh, technologies are very well suited for the delivery of vaccines because they're very small doses. But when you start talking in the range of milligrams, um, there's really not another transdermal technology that can deliver um, uh, biologic drugs, very large molecule drugs across the skin. Um, and so that's where our focus is now. Is the, and is the hero patch platform, like, is that targeted for specific sorts of medicines or is, and is that just the first platform and are there going to be more to come? Absolutely. Yeah. So the hero patch, um, may take many different shapes, forms over the years to come in terms of the different APIs that we're delivering. Um, the hero patch is a delivery platform. Um, and so any, any new API, any new drug that we work with will have its own hero patch. Um, initially, as I mentioned, you know, focusing on replacing subcutaneous injections that are daily or weekly administration. Um, but that's just the starting point. That's where we see, you know, the technology can fit really well right now, can solve uh, a real need and um, is essentially the, the path, of path of least resistance um, to, to solving that problem. But in the future, um, we also want to expand what we're doing and, and really um, leverage the full capabilities of the platform. So some of our early work, we delivered uh, monoclonal antibody. Um, so getting into the delivery of antibodies is definitely something that we see in the future, uh, something that we know is possible. One of the main limitations there right now is how large some of the doses are. Um, so you'll see with these medications typically, um, you know, it might be an infusion every month or every few weeks, uh, maybe every few months. And so uh, in the future, we envision breaking that down. And instead of needing to go into the clinic every few months or every few weeks, let's say there's a daily or a weekly patch that you can apply yourself at home. Um, and so this isn't just to reduce the strain on the clinic or improve the convenience, which it would. Um, but really, you can start to see better treatment outcomes um, and perhaps less side effects as well, because instead of delivering all of it at once for less frequent intervals, uh, you really have much tighter control of, of how much of the, uh, the therapeutic you're delivering at a given time and, and maintaining that therapeutic level. Well, super interesting. Um, I noticed you, you raised your seed round last year, so congrats on that. Just out of curiosity, are there pharmaceutical partners that you and the team are leveraging um, or already working with? Um, and I guess, what was the milestone for that seed round for you and the team in terms of growth? Right. Uh, yeah. So publicly announced, uh, I guess, mid last year, some of that came in a, li a little bit earlier than that. So um, we've been making great progress with that. I'm really excited and, um, about that round. 
Um, so in terms of milestones for using that, um, I think the number one thing was, was building out our team. Um, really proud of the team that we've built out, very multidisciplinary. Um, and for something like this, you know, you need that. Um, we have, you know, chemists, biologists, various forms of engineering to help us uh, tackle these problems. Uh, we also have uh, lab and office space here in Boston, so we're based here. Uh, and then we also have another lab in Greece, uh, so being able to kind of build out that team and our capabilities. And then also um, really being able to develop the technology further and advance uh, our data packages. So. Um, We've gotten to the point now with a, a couple different molecules of having uh, large animal uh, data. So we're still in preclinical testing, um, but especially for, as we're talking for peptide therapeutics, being able to, to see the, the PK profile there and understand our, our delivery kinetics uh, was really important milestone for us. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, working with pharmaceutical partners is, is uh, a major part of our business plan as well. Um, and we've been able to do that along the way. So uh, we have two uh, research collaborations with Top 20 Pharma uh, right now. Um, those are under pretty strict confidentiality, so I can't go too much yeah. further into that. Um, but we are excited to, to be making that progress and, uh, you know, certainly at the very least validating the need for our technology and being able to work with a very reputable company. That's great. Um... Shifting a little bit more general, but just given the experiences and stories you've you've talked about, whether from college and football and um, some of the more technical side of things, winning the a couple of awards for Tufts, which I imagine helps with fundraising, etc. Um, how have you juggled hiring, fundraising, managing a team? Um, over the past three and a half year, 2019, three and a half years or so. Um, and I guess, what are some of the biggest challenges you've had as a CEO? And at the same time, what's come most natural to you? and What excites you the most? That was a long question, but. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. I'll try to uh, unpack all of it. <laughs> um, so in terms of, um, I think you said challenges with hiring, fundraising, managing a team. Um, hiring is something that we, we don't take very lightly um, and we wanna make sure that we put the right pieces in place. Um, I think it goes maybe back to, to some of the challenges in football you're talking about, but it's not just having you know, the right talent, it's also having a well-functioning team together. Um, and so, uh, we like to, you know, really spend, uh, make sure we're hiring the right people. Um, we don't outsource that to, you know, recruiting agencies or, or things like that. Um, even though, uh, you know, uh, quite a few reach out on a daily basis. Uh, <laughs> I can we, imagine. We, we try to try to do our own hiring there. Um, and yeah, that goes into managing the team as well. I think um, it's also, you know, it's the most important part it's probably the most challenging part i think a lot of people you talk to you know just uh because i i think you know communication is key and uh understanding the way that everyone communicates is also uh very important um you know scientists and engineers speak a very different language than investors um and so just making sure you find that balance and how to properly communicate with everyone and make sure everyone's on the same page 
Um, it's both a challenge, but very important and very rewarding once you get it right. Um, I won't say that, you know, we're perfect every time, but I, I like to think uh, we're doing a pretty good job and uh, bringing the team along. Uh, fundraising, that's, that's always a challenge, always a new challenge. Um, and I think different stages of fundraising are also very different too. Um, so, you know, very early on, a lot of angel investors um, that believed in us, you know, gave us a, a chance that we were able to produce some of that early monoclonal antibody data that I referred to earlier. Um, and then just being able to continually make progress and, and uh, you know, push the technology and the company forward. Um, fundamentally, I, I think, you know, it really just comes down to um, having a problem that you really care about and you know other people care about, and then having a logical uh, roadmap of how you're going to get there. I don't think anyone expects that you know, everything you say is going to happen and that we're going to do this perfectly every time. But uh, understanding the thought process and being able to clearly articulate that and, and knowing that, um, you know, the meaningful problem is kind of the guiding star in that. Um, and then just finding the right people, too. Um, it's not just about capital when you're fundraising. It's, it's, once you uh, raise money from investors, it's almost like a marriage, right? So it's, yeah. it's really finding the right people that uh, you want on your team and, and they want, um, you know, in, in their portfolio as well. Um, we're, we're running low on time. So I, I guess we'll close out with a two part question that I'd like to, um, I, I've asked, I think every, every founder, co-founder, entrepreneur that we've had on. Um, so I'm always curious to hear the answer, I guess, if, well, Question part one is, would you be surprised to know that you ended up being one of the founders of a company if you, as a 15-year-old, were to find that out? Um, and two, what advice would you give someone in your shoes who's Jake Lombardo getting his master's thinking about starting a company? So for the first one, if I was surprised... Um... I'd probably say no. It wasn't my expectation, um, but like we said, I, I didn't really have an expectation. So um, if you told me that, I would have said, okay, <laughs> I guess that makes sense. We, we, we somehow found a path to that. Um, in terms of advice, I think, um, you know, whether you're a first-time entrepreneur, um, I guess it's easier coming from my perspective as a first-time relatively young founder, um, but I think it applies to anyone, is surrounding yourself with the right people, uh, making sure that you have a, a great team around you, whether that's employees, investors, advisors, um, even informal people that you just use as a sounding board. I think it's really important, um, and especially now with everything so connected, I think it's very difficult to do anything alone or maybe impossible. Um, and then once you have you know, the right people around you, it's also having the humility to, to learn from them, uh, not just, you know, putting resumes, uh, yeah. you know, in your company, but really being able to take their feedback and, and learn from them. Um, and then kind of coupling that with finding the themes and then having your own conviction to make those decisions off of those themes. Um, I think that's, that's kind of the, the main thing there. And then 
the the other thing is actually you're saying you know a younger person is to to push yourself to be uncomfortable yeah. um because especially in a, a startup environment if if you're comfortable for too long you're probably doing something <laughs> wrong or or not improving or not growing in some way uh so uh be comfortable with the uncomfortable <laughs> i know it's cliche yeah. but I, I think it's really helpful they say sharks die when they stop moving so i like that one um well jake thank thank you so much uh for taking the time i'm really excited to continue hearing about your team you your growth and i'm sure after all the listeners listen to this podcast as well they'll enjoy um everything everything you said and and just continuing to stay um have anodyne nanotech top of mind so thank you Thanks. Really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me on as well. Uh, enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to following the pod as well. We'll do a we'll do a slice of life or slice of life sciences football podcast next time. Like you said. <laughs> okay, I'll be Thank happy you. to be a guest on that one. As well. <laughs> awesome. All right.